Welcome to Auto Off Topic. Good evening, Brad. How are you? Uh, I am. I am well, Andrew. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I'm sitting here um, nursing my wounds from rusty sheet metal. Oh yeah. Yeah, but we'll get to that. I'm sure. Hmm. I know we've been uh, in the meantime nursing our wounds from our our dirt rally championship. Well, that's just because we host a championship that we have no business hosting because we can't win. No, not at all. It's, um, let's see, the first one we did, it was New England, which I think you missed because you went around. Yeah, I was on the road, unfortunately. So I'm, no, wait, no, I did that first one. Oh, you, you got in the New England one? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, 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 I did. I missed the first one on our other rally that we participate in. Oh, that's right. I, um... I set it up so you could be able to do it when you get home. So yep. it was H2, which is the polo and the golf in the game. Mm-hmm. Front wheel drive. That was at New England. Peugeot in the golf. That's right. Yeah. I think I used the golf. I used the Peugeot. French And Maryland. Yeah. And then what else did we do? Uh, we went to New Zealand. I don't know. I was just trying to load the thing up on my laptop sitting next to me, and I can't. And my short-term memory of where I actually go in the world is 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 bad. But I take a road trip, so I can only imagine how bad it is where I virtually go in video games. <laughs> I don't yeah, it was, it was it was New Zealand, and those okay. were F one cars. So no, sorry, H one H one cars. So it's the Mini, the Citroen, and the Lancia. I said F because I had front wheel drive in my head, but it's historic one. H1, yep. Which I use the Lancia because it's my favorite car in the whole game. Yeah, I use that too this time. It's um it's better than the mini in the game. I think the mini is too low. Yeah. Um, and you wind up bottoming out in places too much. Yeah, and then the And the Citroen is just too big and uncanny. Yeah. The Lancia is pretty good. It's a sweet spot for the historic one class for sure. So, yeah, Dirt Rally 2.0, for those who don't know. We've talked about it a few times before, but we decided to do another another tournament, and uh, it didn't it doesn't go well for us because, you know, it's frustrating because I am innumerably better than I was when we first started playing the game. But the problem is I think that everybody who was already better than me has also improved. Yeah, well, you know what I've also been doing too is playing more of the time trial mode. So you just go pick... And I kind of been running uh, practice before some of the rallies, especially when we first started because I was rusty. So I did a bunch of time trials at New England just to to get into the groove with the F the H two cars. Yeah, that's probably what I should do. And I mean, one of the stages now globally, I have a time that's 139th in the world. So that sounds like pretty far down the list, Andrew. 139th. I mean, listen, would you, would you brag to somebody if you came in 139th place somewhere? I mean, when there's like <laughs> thousands of people that play. I'm just screwing with you. That's definitely pretty good. That's probably top 10% at least. Yeah, that's pretty good for yeah. And it's like a it's like 48 seconds off um the top time. Which so. seems like a lifetime. It is a lifetime, but yeah. it's better than I used to do, especially with a wheel. Yeah, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not discrediting you because I'm sure I'm further down that list than you are. So it's just, it's such a, the game is so hard to be consistent on. And I, I have some times where, 
know, the way the game is set up, you have your segment times f- during each stage. And on the side of the the game, when you're playing, it lights up red or green if you're red, if you're behind the guy who's done it faster than you in your tournament, or green if you're the fastest one who's done it so far in your tournament. I've greenlit a bunch of those individual segments of stages, yet I'm still two minutes behind the overall at the end of the, at the end of the race. So it's like I I know that I get it, I know that I can do it, but at the same time, I can't link it all together from the beginning of the of the event to the end of the event to not be behind. It's just it's it's very frustrating. Yeah, well, if you like just go off a little bit, it eats so much time. Mm-hmm. And then if you have to, if you get to the point where you can't recover the car yourself, so you like you'll spin off and then you're like forward reverse, forward reverse. You're like trying to get it back in the road. Meanwhile, if you had just recovered it, it just would have been thirty second penalty, or but sometimes like, an eight second penalty. But you don't know that it's going to be that hard to recover until it's too late. Yeah, exactly. So if you have a couple of those, those add up over six stages, and then yeah, you're yeah. two minutes. Yeah, and that's that's probably more what it is than anything else. You know, I had one, I think it was in the New Zealand one, where I went through a fence. And then oh, you get oh stuck my gosh. on the other side of the fence. And yeah, you hit the pause button because you want to recover the car. Because he's like, I, I'm not going to get back to this fence. And there's no option to recover the car. It makes you drive back onto the road. And I couldn't it drive back onto the road. Stop. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, and then it'll wait like a beat. And then it'll let you hit the restart. Well, unfortunately, I didn't realize that, and I was sitting behind there, stuck behind this fence for like, yes, forty-five seconds. Because that you, happened to me in the last stage of that rally. I was super frustrating. I was cooking along, and then it was like the cattle um, fences were like one-way gates. Like you could you could bash through them coming off the road, but then I'm like, well, I'm not that far from the end. I just want to bash through this fence to get back going, and it was just like funk. Nope. Yeah, it has a lot to do with uh, angle and okay. speed. That's what it is. Yeah. So, yeah, super annoying. Yeah, we got all tied up back there. I was on the wrong side of the fence. The next thing I know, it's like been two minutes. It's like, mm-hmm. So frustrating. And then if you catch a flat, depending where you catch the flat, you know, if you're at the beginning of the rally you're, or the beginning of the stage, you're like, well, I got to change it. One minute penalty. Because if you don't, it's just going to, it'll just go and go and go until the tire is gone. And then yeah. you can hear it. It's just on the on the rim. So also one thing I've learned. Um, yeah. We've been playing it with uh, is it hardcore damage off. Mm-hmm. Extreme damage, hardcore damage, whatever it is. So you yeah. have a little bit more leeway when it comes to like bouncing off of trees. You can do yeah. it once in a while. Yeah. But it's, I it's did learn that. Forgiving. So my, my thing is I've always not changed a tire if it doesn't make me spin off the road every time I hit the brakes. So right. it's like a, like a right rear tire sometimes won't be that big a deal. I'll just let it yeah. you know, fly on a front-wheel drive car. Yeah. But what I learned, because this is what happened to me, on a front-wheel drive car, I had a rear tire go early on in the stage, and I didn't change it because I was like, well, I think it would cost me more than a minute. It would cost me less than a minute penalty to just drive a little bit slower through the whole stage. But I, I got a terminal damage, and my terminal damage was wheels because I ran it with no tire for almost the whole stage. And I was like uh, one segment left at the end of the stage and the car just terminal damaged on me and I couldn't uh, DNF the stage. Uh, so I got yep. the maximum, you know, whatever the time limit is for that stage, 15 minutes or whatever. 
Yeah. So it did, and that obviously ruined me for everything else. Yeah. yeah so you can rough. you can still terminal damage with hardcore damage off. It's just a lot harder to do, I guess. And then the funny thing too, when you go to do a time trial, I've caught flats, and you it just doesn't the car doesn't carry them the spares because you're only doing one stage at a time. You don't set it up. Yeah, but it, it, automatically when you're doing a rally, the car comes with a spare. You need yeah, to do one, one or you can add a second. Which I used to add a second because I used to get flats all the time. But now that I've improved, I only run the one. <laughs> and I haven't yeah. had to use two for a while. And then, but, you know, you're just doing the time trial modes, so you just reset it. It's like, whatever. Yeah, well, I wish there was some kind of, and maybe I don't, you know, some kind of two tries to get it right every time because... It's just so hard to get this game right. Yeah. And I've decided that it's not a, a question of my skill in the game. It's a question of something to do with my eyesight. Nighttime in the rain, I cannot see junctions. Yeah. I So I've switched to, I just do the hood view. Because if you're trying to do it in the cockpit. It's too much. The going, going. Yeah. You can't see. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, it's not. I do the same view. It's but, like, uh, you know, because it's it's three D, but it's not really three D. Yep, it's really hard to tell where yeah. stuff is. Uh, so I've, I've switched to the same, you know, very front of the car view. I think yeah. it helps a lot. Um, but the same thing still at nighttime in the rain. If it's a a, a junction comes up and it's like a you know a slight to the left road and a slight to the right road, and you got to pick which one to go down, <laughs> or you can have to pick like you're supposed to go to the left. Sometimes I won't even see the turn, and I just wind up you know, plowing into the Y section of the, and I get all frustrated and mad, but it is what it is. You got to pay more attention, pay, pay as much attention as you can to your co-driver and you should be good. But I mean, it, as you're time. getting, the other thing you need to do as you're getting quicker, are you turning your notes up sooner? I don't know. You could change that. Yes. You can change the pace of when he says the notes. So as you're getting faster, like go into settings find the, the pace note setting you can either do it slower or faster like so um you know the beginning of the game you set them slower and then as you progress and get faster like i kind of had them in the middle and then i was finding i was getting faster so i went like one click to the left which is quicker i didn't go like extreme early but you want them a little bit earlier and that helps Okay, I'll try that cool. out. I haven't because now that you're going faster, you need them sooner. Yeah, I didn't know you could adjust it, so they've always been on whatever the default setting is. And then one of the other things I do, I will, especially on some of the older historic cars, I'll up the final drive to be a bit taller. It seems to help a little bit with wheel spin, and then definitely on the high speed sections, a little less banging off the rev limiter. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to uh, make those changes. I make some very minor changes to suspension, but I've never changed anything with the gearing. I typically only change the gearing, and I, uh, except in the other event we were doing, it's Argentina, it's super bumpy. I raised the car like a couple millimeters. I raised the car for every event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't get high centered on things as easily. Yeah. Oh. Um, I don't mess with the spring rates. I don't typically mess with the sway bar unless it's like a Group A car. Make it heavier. But yeah, definitely because there's like sections in New England uh, that are long 
and it's like, wah, 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 and you're, I mean, you're just flat in fifth. Um, and once you can hold it together, like that's where a lot of your speed comes from on those stages. Cool. Well, I hope to get better. I hope to do some more. I hope to not be so long in between things. And I don't think we did a very good job promoting it this time either. We put it up like once before the event happened and we didn't get quite as many people participating this time, but I think we'll, uh, we'll do it again soon. I think. Mm-hmm. So, cause we're going to get better at it you know, the more we do it. So yeah. Yeah. No, it was pretty fun. Uh, it's still fun. It's still going on. You could still do it. Yeah. You can join midway through. You're not going to win obviously, but it's good fun to get involved. With There's it. no thing to win. It's just something to, to not be bored. You win our admiration for beating us yeah. at an event that we are not good at. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, anyway. So, yeah, real cars. Yeah. Uh, what have you been doing? Oh, well, I was away last weekend out of town um, to go to a little road trip. Um, I did so in a beautiful 2020 Nissan Altima. Oh, you, you told me you had some... Uh, yeah critiques so i haven't driven a, a new new car in a while you have a 2020 car 2019 car right 2020 2019 yeah 2019, 2019. But, does your uh, car have i will say volkswagens are more classic old school yeah vintage. especially the sedans yeah in the in the like a gti and a sedan they're more analog That's yeah we like them. does your car have uh, driver assists? Does it have radar crews or lane assist or warnings when you're coming out of your lane? Uh, no, it ha- only has um, side uh, blind spot, which is I think handy it's federal, because of, I think it's a federal mandate now. Well, you know what it is is like. So I could be wrong on that, but I think it's cars used to have small mirrors, which was good for fuel economy, and then as blind spots got bigger, cars got giant mirrors like through yeah. like 2005 to like 12 like every car had like giant mirrors and then they started adding the uh they wanted to make them smaller for fuel economy because less wind resistance but then you couldn't see like people in your quarter so now they have the blind spot modern yeah so anyway yeah i have that uh i've got ford collision warning i don't think it would stop the car it just Beeps at me if somebody's slowing down really fast. Okay. And I've got rear, uh, like cross traffic. So like if I'm backing out of my driveway, it like beeps at me. So essentially, nothing bothers you when you're driving down the highway. No, no, there's no, there's nothing intrusive. So this car, it doesn't have. I don't want to call it lane assist. It doesn't actually pull the steering wheel. Um. Let me back up a little bit. So long story sh- long, um, my Volkswagen is still in the shop. I think we talked about that last episode, which yeah. was like a couple weeks ago. Uh, my Volkswagen is still in the shop for warranty repair. Literally the amount of time that we haven't recorded a podcast. Yeah. So it's been, this will be three weeks. Actually, yesterday was three weeks, which I think is excessive. <laughs> that um, is excessive. So... And that's like almost, I think in mass here, you'd be approaching like lemon law. Yeah. I'm not sure what the laws are out here, but yeah, 
my issue with the whole thing is I also can't seem to get a straight answer out of my service advisor about what's going on. Um, I've never had a problem with him before. He's the same guy I always use. You know, I think we talked about it before. You know, I don't wrench in the car myself generally because the car is under warranty. So I like to have a history that everything's been done just to maintain my warranty status. And I know that they can't technically not give me warranty if I do my, do my own maintenance, but I just don't want to fight. You know what I mean? It's not worth it to me. Costs a little bit extra. You have to prove it. Exactly. It costs a little extra for them to do the oil changes and whatnot. But I do it at the dealer anyway because I just do it. You know, I still do the air filters and stuff myself because I'm not going to pay them $125 to put an air filter in. Um, But anyway, so I don't generally have a problem with my service advisor. Um, He's, you know, a car guy. He's into some 80s and 90s stuff. So we chat a bit when we're there. But... Brought the car in. I think we talked about it. I'll go over it real basic. Uh, PO404 code, uh, which is a EGR or DPF code. Could be either. Uh, it turns out the car needed both, supposedly. What I'm hearing is that the DPF works on oil. So oil gets burnt off to help burn off the soot in the exhaust when it goes into regen, supposedly. Um, so... It allows oil to get in there, is what he's trying to tell me, which I don't know that how that works. Does uh, the DPF take oil from the engine to work? Uh, I don't. You don't have to add. Uh, it's, DPF it's too fluid. old. I don't have. Uh, yeah, I don't have DEF fluid. So I don't think that oil. I don't know how it works. In there. I, I don't. I don't know how it works. Strange to me. Right. So anyway, he's telling me that a seal let go inside the turbo which allowed oil to fill up the DPF. Now, the DPF is in in line in the exhaust. Um, it's like if you were working on an older non-diesel vehicle, it's like where the downpipe would be off the turbo. That's where the DPF is. So he's saying that it filled up with oil, and then it got too hot, which is also weird because it's supposed to get hot because it, when the car goes into regen, it actually burns off the excess soot yeah. so it doesn't come out the tailpipe doesn't create emissions. It burns it off inside the car. But anyway, so it filled up with oil, and then it got too hot. Um, when it got too hot, it cracked the housing. And then the EGR was working in overtime, so that failed. So, okay. Fix the car, please. <laughs> like I, I don't need to know how it works. I just need to make sure it works. If it was an older car that I was working on myself... I would have invested a little more time into figuring it out. Now I think I'm going to because I'm curious what's happening. Um, but supposedly, in doing all this work, they've broken a bolt. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Andrew. Actually, I do because I've been there. But you and I have both broken bolts before. Hmm. The act of retrieving a broken bolt out of whatever it's broken in is not necessarily a time-consuming experience if it's accessible. No, it's a pain. It might be a couple days. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it depends. It depends on what you maybe a need couple to days. get to take it out. It's maybe a couple days if you're a backyard mechanic who's doing this in his free time. Yeah. If you're in a full-service dealership repair facility, I mean, a couple of days is plenty of time, I would think, <laughs> to get a bolt out. Um, I can't quite tell me, he can't quite tell me where the bolt is stuck in. He keeps saying in the turbo, which to me 
would be super simple because if you have the turbo out of the car, then that would be a super easy thing to put on the bench and, you know, put in a vice and pull the bolt out of. I can't get the word out of them if he's replacing the turbo, which I assume he is. Um, so I, I don't know where this bolt is broken. Is it bolted in the cylinder head? Was it a manifold bolt? Because on this particular Volkswagen setup, the turbo is cast as part of the exhaust, manif exhaust manifold. So you have to take the manifold off to take the turbo off. So did he break a bolt in the cylinder head? Yeah. I mean, that would take strange. a little more time to repair, I would think. So I don't know. I, I'm 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 a little frustrated. At first, I didn't care. Um, then we were taking a trip. We had to deliver some stuff to Naomi's daughter, who lives in Oklahoma. Um, so we took the we we're going to take the Volkswagen. So I brought it in, you know, more than a week before we we're going on our trip to make sure I got it back in time, um, which obviously didn't happen. <laughs> um, so I told him that, and he's like, "All right, we'll get you a rental car." All right, that's cool. So. We were in that rental Altima, um, which as of Friday, we're recording this on Monday, Martin Luther King Day. So on Friday, uh, I talked to him and he said, well, we'll we're going to extend your rental until next Friday at least. So I'm not sure what's happening. But anyway, going back to this, this 2020 Altima, um, driver assists are annoying. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I don't understand them. So it has lane change assist. I'm not sure what sets off the little warning, but it vibrates the steering wheel and it flashes super bright colors in the dashboard if it thinks you're leaving your lane. But, you know, I can see in the mirrors where I am in the lane and this thing would go off so prematurely that you have so much time. So you keep the car dead center in the middle of the lane and it's fine. But if you if the car wanders at all, like inches to the left or to the right, the thing goes off every time. It doesn't make any sense. Usually you switch to shut them off. Well, we'll get there in a second. I, w I wanted to experience all these things before I started messing with turning them off. I, I got in the car. I noticed I had the things. I said, you know what? I'm going to give them a go. I've never driven a car with all these things, any kind of distance other than a parking lot. Maybe Maybe I'll get used to it. Maybe it'll be okay. So we'll just put it this way. I didn't turn them off until we got to Texas. So, hmm. um, and then Naomi was driving and she's like, I cannot drive with these. We have to turn these off. <laughs> so, and she's not, you know, the supercar person that we are. She's more of a, you know, casual, interesting cars. So if she doesn't like it, then I can't imagine most consumers love it. It doesn't seem to make much sense to me. So it has the lane assist, which tells you when you're leaving your lane, which is way too aggressive. Um, it has radar cruise control, which you can set the following distance. I do like that. I have used it. Well, um, maybe it's just Nissan's had that for a long time because they used to have it on Infinities. Well, it's very, it's ago. very invasive now, and I do not like it because what happens is at the closest setting. So obviously, you want to keep your following distances far apart in the highway and this car has that it's set so that you know you can have it so you're you know 30 car lengths behind or 28 car lengths behind it seems like doesn't seem like there's any way to get any closer so what happens is you'll crest a hill and there'll be a car in front of you and you're just driving in, a, in the normal lane with the cruise control set you know through texas on like set the cruise control at like you know 80 miles an hour and you come up behind a car 
and you don't notice the car is slowing down because the car is so far in the distance that you haven't even like entered your brain yet that you have to pass this car and it gradually slows you down to maintain that distance until if that car is doing 65 miles an hour you're just doing 65 miles an hour just driving the lane like it's not it, it just doesn't allow you to get close enough <laughs> it should give me a little bit more you know it's it's like a quarter mile behind the car in front of me i don't understand why it's so far maybe an eighth mile but still it's much further than is necessary for safe following distances at its closest setting or its closest setting for the car. So that was quite annoying. And uh, auto high beams are also annoying. Oh, yes. Because they turn themselves off, off certain signs. Oh, it bounces back. Yes. Super frustrating. Hmm. So you're driving through, you know, the middle of the night. Nobody else is around. You have your high beams on and it hits the sign at the right height and it bounces the light back at it and it turns the high beams off. So I don't meanwhile, like any of it. grumpy old man yells at cloud. Okay. So that's what we're doing right here. Meanwhile, I'm driving towards this person and my tri- my headlights don't trigger them to turn off because they're driving around the city with streetlights on with auto high beams. I don't know how that could be a thing because these things are so sensitive. They turn off at every Every little bit it, like coming it seems down, like it's mostly Toyotas that do this. Like it, it's not reactive enough. Coming down Route 17, uh, back into Arizona, I 17, like through like the mountain passes, there was like an 18 wheeler, like a mile down the road on the opposite side coming at me. And there's you know a thousand feet in between the lanes, and he's coming around a corner, and it's just the high beams turn off. <laughs> it's like he's so far away. <laughs> It's not even, this is not affecting him at all right now. You can barely see his truck. So I don't know. I, I just, I'm going to be a grumpy old man and say that I don't like it. Um, I will say the rest of the car wasn't terrible. Um, I always hate Altimus. I always will hate Altimus. You know, I've been driven into a few times by Altima drivers. So I don't like Altima drivers. But I will say the car itself wasn't a terrible place to be for a 12 hour drive. Yeah. Um, if I had to compare it to something, I say it's like a brand new BMW 10 years ago. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the trim is that faux wood finish that's halfway decent. The seats are, I don't know if they're leather or if they're um, like a vinyl, but they feel nice and they're heated and they have a power lumbar section, which is nice. So you can get that exact, you know, perfect place where your back doesn't hurt. Um, the back seat's better than the one that we rented many years ago when we were out here doing a road trip on the West Coast, which had like a park bench back seat. <laughs> oh, that was that like 05 to like 10. Yeah, the real, the real bad Ultimus. Mm-hmm. So I will say the, the worst part about this car was the road noise, which obviously could be tires. Um, they were Continental, Conti, something or others, which I wouldn't think would be loud. Um, but it had a lot of road noise. That was probably the worst part of the car. But the actual feeling inside the car was nice. You know, all the touch surfaces were nice. I don't like big screens that you have to touch to do functions because they inevitably wind up covered in fingerprints, which is annoying. Um, but, I mean, it was a car. It did its thing. It's not anything any of us are going to buy. But I just don't like all these electronic nannies in the cars that they have now. It's just not... It's too much. 
it takes too much away. Like either go full autonomy or don't. I don't think this in between stuff is going to help. So that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. Would not recommend. Brad, right. The Brad score of quirks and features right there, right? Cool. Yeah. How about your old cars? Um. Yeah. So I've been working on the '84 Starion. Mm. Yeah. So I get no cats. No cats in there. No cats this time. No good stories. Which is good because the car is all jacked up, and any stories would involve the car falling on me, probably. Right. Mm. So yeah, no stories. Um. If y'all can rewind back to late last year, I was going to be driving the car out of Massachusetts across the country to here. And at the last minute, we chose against it because I filled it up with gas and gas poured all over the ground. Right. So I had it transported out here with the Colt. Uh, It got here. I haven't touched it other than the infamous cat story to move it that one day um, because I've been working on little jobs here and there in the Colt. So I haven't been digging into that and little jobs here and there on the truck. So the steering has kind of been just sitting. So I kind of said this weekend that I need to at least get out there and start picking away at what's leaking in the fuel tank. Is it the filler neck or is it the tank itself? So I jacked the car up, pulled the wheel liner off of the driver's side. That's where the filler is. So I could inspect the filler neck all the way down to the tank. Um, and there's no hole in the filler neck. So filler neck is good. The rubber hose between the tank and the filler neck is good. It's not leaking from there. Mm-hmm. So that's a positive and a negative because that means that the tank has to come out of the car. And I don't know if you have all seen pictures of this car, but it is very, very rusty. Mm. So obviously my first fear is that I'm going to stop breaking bolts here now as well as in the Volkswagen dealer down the street. And yeah. I'm going to have an issue with this car. So um, I didn't have any rust penetrant here, so I went out to grab some Deep Creep. Uh, Deep Creep is not readily available in Arizona. No, I wouldn't expect it to be. Yeah, PB Blast is, which is not the worst thing in the world, but it's not Deep Creep. Um, I haven't gone to a, like a Napa or somewhere yet because around here it was later in the day when I went to look for it. So I went to a Pet Boys and a... O'Reilly's, and they didn't have it. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe a Napa does, but we'll get there eventually. So I bought a can of PB Blast, uh, and I sprayed the car down, all the bolts in the gas tank and on the filler neck, because there's two bolts on the filler neck where it bolts to the body of the car on the inside. Um, got a pair of JIS screwdrivers for Christmas, which... Andrew's talked about before. If you don't have oh, yeah. JIS screwdrivers, you should buy them because if you have a Japanese car, they are the way to go. Uh-huh. Yes. In my experience on old Mitsubishi's, especially of the era that this Starion is, standard American-style screwdrivers will just tear the bolts up, um, especially when they're slightly corroded. Uh, and these JIS screwdrivers, I was able to pull off the fuel door and the bolts on the filler neck without any drama at all. Like they just went in, gave them a little tap with the hammer to kind of break them free. And then they just came off like nothing. So amazing, amazing having the right tools. So I had the fuel door off, filler neck unbolted. I sprayed down the bottom of the car. And then I said, it's getting dark out. I'm working on the car in the yard. I said, all right, I'll go back and tackle it the next day. So the next day was today. 
Um, so I went out there and uh, started working all of the bolts on the tank, and every single one of them came free. Wow. Without much effort. So after spraying them all at the PV Blast, before I went into each one of them, I took a, a chisel and a hammer, and just because I didn't have a proper like punch, but mm-hmm. I took a chisel and the hammer, and I just hit the end of the bolt fairly aggressively um, to, to get them off. So the way it's set up, it's a stud on the car with a nut that holds the tank in place. Yeah. So a stud is, I assume, pressed in or welded into the car somehow. Um, yeah, every single bolt came off. <laughs> So I have all the bolts loosened now. I didn't take them all the way off because I didn't want the tank to fall out on me because I haven't disconnected the pump from up top yet because I wasn't going to disconnect the fuel pump if I couldn't get the tank out because I didn't want to leave the car dead in the yard. So I figured if I took the whole fuel pump off the top, which you know, Andrew, because you helped me put it in last time, is questionable at best because of the amount of rust up there. I didn't want to break something up there and then have a dead car in the yard and Mm. not be willing to fix it because the tank was stuck in the car. And again, the plan is to eventually swap all of the good interior stuff to a, you know, a good Arizona shell. So I don't put too much effort in. At the same time, I'd like to make the car running and driving and make it mechanically run perfect before I swap everything over. So anyway, so I have to pull the tank down. Um, the car has a fairly rare uh, factory accessory trailer hitch on the car. Yeah. Which I've never, I don't think I've seen another one in my staring and travels over the years. It's not a very common part. Um, so I, the trailer hitch mounts from the back of the rear subframe. And it's a bar that goes across the fuel tank and then bolts into the bumper rebar in the back. So it's four bolts along the rebar and then one giant, like, I think it's a 21 millimeter or a 20 or 19 millimeter. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I, it's, it's a it's not a millimeter at all. It's a it's all American hardware. So I think it was it was bigger than a half inch. I know that. I don't remember exactly. Huh. Eleven sixteenths maybe. Um, with a giant bolt in that subframe holding this this trailer hitch in, and it looked like it had spent you know it looked like it sank in nineteen twelve with the Titanic. That's that's what it looked huh. like. So it wasn't it wasn't pretty. Um, the bolts on the rebar did come off pretty simply, which is amazing. Um, I got them to move just a little bit with the big breaker bar. And then I just said, you know what? I don't need these bolts. I don't need this part. So damn the torpedoes. If I break them, I break them. And I put the electric impact on them <laughs> with the impact sockets. And they didn't fight me even a little. It just... That tool is so nice to have. Hmm. So nice to have. So I got all of those. There's four bolts in the rebar that came off. And then I had to fight that big one on the bottom of the subframe. So eventually it came. Um, It took hammer, breaker bar, hammer, breaker bar. And then eventually, same thing with that impact. The electric Milwaukee, like the 18-volt impact. Took it off, you know, without much complaint afterwards. Uh, it was definitely smoking when it came off from the heat and the oh, blast yeah. in it, but it definitely came off. So, However, at that point, the bar itself had become one with the subframe. So we still weren't out of the woods yet. Um, thankfully, Naomi has this giant crowbar that I think was her her father's or her grandfather's. It's like a very 
old school, like, if you have this in 2020, you're either a contractor or a criminal kind of crowbar. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a it's a serious crowbar. So I managed to get just enough of the rust broken away and then I could hammer that crowbar in. Um, and then I had her hold the back of the thing up because now the bolts are off and I was afraid this thing was going to, you know, break free and drop this giant piece of iron with rusty bolts on my belt, on my stomach as I'm laying under the car. Um, and we got it in there just by shaking it and hitting it with the, the pry bar and pulling it down. And we, we got it off. It was, it was a fight, but hmm. we got it off. So, um, and then again, now it's dark outside. So the tank is just sitting there. I put the car back on the road, on the ground. Um, I had to go back into the hatch tomorrow, pull the fuel pump out, and uh, drop the tank. But unfortunately, the tank is rotted on top. So uh, I'm not going to be welding the tank because it's a gas tank. And I'm not going to have the patience to clean it out enough to weld it first. Um, so how rotted it is. I'm going to see how rotted it is first. And then we're going to have I have a couple ideas in my mind. If it's small pinholes, I can just use some quick steel. I was just thinking that, like some JB quick steel, like just skim yep. coated over it. Yep. Um, if it's bigger than that, um, the thought is maybe some sheet metal and rivets <laughs> and seal it all in around the edges mm, just to make yeah, it maybe. Yeah. You still have to drill into a gas tank. I'm less concerned about drilling into a gas tank that's full of fuel. I think if it was empty, I wouldn't want to drill it. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll I'll before I do anything stupid, I'll I'll consult with uh with those in the know, but I mean I, I guess I could also drain the fuel out of it. It's not the end of the world. It's only got half a tank, so it's probably five or six gallons. It's not mm. tons of fuel, but I don't know. I, I bet it's just pinholes. If it's just pinholes, then it's just gonna get sealed up with some, you know, I'll just sand it smooth and put some of that quick steel on there and Hope for the best. So be interesting. See what happens. So oh. and I have a brand new radiator on the way for it. So oh, uh, cool. yeah, a pre a pre eighty five radiator, which is not common anymore. Um, I thought I was going to have to adapt something else. Um, which I mean, obviously, a radiator is not too difficult to make fit. You can just bend some sheet metal. Well, up, but you're also in the land of radiator shops. You could have had the one you have fixed. That's true, and I and I plan on having it fixed and put aside. Yeah. Um, because I have a uh, a brand spanking new NOS Mitsubishi one that's for the 83 to 85 cars. So that'll be good. And so it's a metal tank factory style radiator, which will be nice to have out here in the land of heat. Because the plan is to have that car, once it's switched over to a new shell, to have, you know, fully functional air conditioning and everything to use it all year round. So yep. I do want I do want to have a good radiator and good cooling system. <laughs> For that, for that matter, I may even wind up changing into an aluminum radiator later, just for efficiency. But it'd be nice to have the factory set up for now, and it should be good. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. I've made a good amount of progress on it, and uh, it's coming along. So, hopefully, by next episode with uh, project or updates, we'll have the tank back in the car, and the car will be running again. Hopefully, bring us cool. Yeah. Is there anything else? Oh, what else did I do? You have to remind me, Andrew. Did I do anything else I told you about and didn't talk about here? I don't remember now. I don't think so. We talked about the exhaust last week on the Colt, right? Yep. That's all done. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I finished the chassis on a scale project car. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, my my automotive nerdiness knows no bounds, as uh, our listeners all very well know by now, I'm sure. Um, and I picked up a couple of RC trucks about two years ago and haven't finished them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I picked up this Toyota pickup. It's like one sixteenth scale. It's a, one of those scale looking crawlers. Uh, and I finished building the chassis on that. Hmm. So it's got uh, four links, front and rear frame, like ladder style frame, like a real truck. Hmm. Uh, transfer case in the middle. And it's it's neat. It's four wheel drive. Um, but the electronics in it, maybe, maybe, maybe after podcast tonight, I'll finish the electronics and I'm going to paint and detail Ooh. the body and put that together. But yeah, it's by this company called WPL. They're a Chinese RC company. Um, they make it in a ready to run, like buy the out of the box and and drive it, or they make it in a kit form. Um, the ready to run one comes with like very toy like servos and stuff, so that it doesn't have like proportional steering and doesn't have a good receiver or transmitter, and the tires are very hard. If you buy the kit version, it comes with much higher end componentry and like really soft tires for like you know rock crawling and stuff with it. So. The kit version is the way to go, even though it costs more than the fully built one. <laughs> so, but it's a scale one sixteenth scale, like nineteen eighty Toyota pickup. That's cool. Yeah, it's really neat. I'm I'm excited to get it finished. And then I've been looking at obviously anything RC. They have upgrades available, right? Um, so they have like a two speed transfer case, huh? Uh, which is really cool. Uh, metal gear sets. Um, and they make different wheels and tires for it now. They make different body sets for them now. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff out there for them. So I, the, the radio stuff that I got is a uh, three channel. So I could put the two speed transfer case in there and have it. So it's switchable on the fly, which is neat. Hmm. Um, Weird. Yeah. The stuff, the technology, Andrew has come so far since we last built and it's very inexpensive because everything got made by, you know, China companies now. So like the radio setup was like $45. Hmm. Yeah. Servos are like six dollars. <laughs> it's everything is so cheap and so small. It's crazy. Like a, a battery charger, they have the new battery charger technology. You know, you remember the old style we used to have was like a like it had like a, a dial on it, like a timer, and it had the amp gauge, like an old school amp gauge that went up. These new ones are yeah. like, they're digital. They're smart chargers. You know, they charge they charge and discharge, and they have multiple adapters for different kinds of batteries and they're like $64. Mm. So yeah. One of the last ones I had was, was a peak charger. So yeah. But by the way, mine was a peak charger too, but I still had the dial on it. <laughs> oh, I didn't have a dial. I had a later one that was better. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how far our technology has come on these things. And, uh, you know, it, it was almost so confusing that I couldn't figure it out because it's been so long since we've been into it. Mm. But now that I have all the stuff for it, the only thing I need to buy for it is a battery. But I don't know. I'm excited to have that thing going. That we need to like cool. take camping or something. You know what I mean? Or use to take pictures of and put on the yeah. Instagram page. <laughs> so, cool. but I bought a couple of kits a couple of years ago. Um, so that's the first one, and then I have an even smaller. It's like a one thirty second scale Montero. Huh. I got to build that one next. It's a second gen Montero. Um, or the Orlando. I think I, I think I sent you a picture of that, didn't I? I think so. Yeah. 
So once I finish this Toyota truck, I'll move on to that. So it's been it's been neat to kind of get back into it. Get my uh, my eyesight really focused in on these tiny little screws and these small scale RC vehicles. But, and deciphering Chinese directions. That's probably the hardest mm -hmm. that's probably the hardest part of all. You get this big bag with like hundred and twenty screws in it, and there's like minor differences in them, and they're all in one oh. bag. Hmm. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I actually wound up taking um, one of those metal magnet cups that you use working on a real car, and I spread them out inside the metal magnet cup by length, and that made it easier to kind of figure it out. You could use your grip mats too. Well, the metal cup, the magnet kept them all in place. Yeah. So that's why I use the magnet cup. But also, the small grip mat is currently has a disassembled window switch for the. No. Staring in it, which is not going back together. Put it that way. I need to find one. Mm. So, if any of our listeners yeah. has a early eighty-three to eighty-five um, window switch for a Starion, hit me up. Cool. So, how about you? Any project car updates? Uh, I bought another project car. Uh, fanfare and rap horns. Yay! It's not a. Um, it's not uh, a Volvo. It's also not a Mitsubishi. It's not a Mitsubishi. Although the last three cars I purchased have not been Mitsubishis. So. Have you ever bought a project car that wasn't a Mitsubishi? I mean, you can count the WRX. Okay. I kind of forgot about that. That was a daily, um, though. That was still a daily. Yeah. Every car that has not true. been a daily has been a Mitsubishi, right? That's true, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, But it's a cool car that... Uh, I have some history with, or history with the, these types of cars. Yeah, so I always love these cars. My first job was at an Infinity dealer in like 2001. And first gen like Infinities from like the early 90s were still coming to the dealership to get fixed at that point. Yep. Yeah, I remember your stories of early Q45s and um, yeah. M M30s and some neat stuff. So I drive along a lot of uh, G20s, and I always liked them. And our buddy Chris came across an original owner car down on the South Shore with, like, I think it's a 96 uh, or 95. I think 95 is the last of the first gen. Yeah. No. Those went all the way to 98. Oh, was it that late? Yep. I, I think the car is 95, though. Okay. Yeah. So they were like 91 through 97, actually, I think. Um, but anyway, it's so it's first gen G20, not a touring, but a five speed green on light tan kind of beige cloth. We'll call it forest green over biscuit. Yeah. That's probably what it's probably what um, called it back in the day. Probably. And it's got, um, it's only got like 111,000 miles on it. That's and it? Needs a few things. Yeah, it's oh, super wow. low mileage, super clean. Interior looks like I. he said it was a single guy that owned it. Turns out he lived on the North Shore, purchased it from Kelly Infinity where I worked. So you've probably driven the car before. There's a possibility that I drove it because he didn't move down to the South Shore until later in the 2000s. Hmm. Um, for a new car, it's pretty darn clean. Yeah, it's not very rusty at all. Yeah. It's got a couple of spots of like yeah. surfacey rust, I noticed, but nothing that's like yeah. gross holes anywhere. He, he kept very good care of the car. Yeah, so I'm basically just gonna 
do some minor fixes to it, clean it up. I'll register it, drive it a little bit, but uh, I'm going to end up selling it. So Neat. Something to keep you busy while you're at home. Yeah, something to, to work on that. And then uh, ideally I can sell it for a little bit and roll that into another project car and another project car. And Yeah, and and ideally I, get to cars, a, I mean, the, the G20 was kind of a... Um, an entry level luxury car it was kind of their their version of the BMW 3 series i guess but it was probably less than a BMW 3 series at the time um they were front wheel drive yeah. it's an SR20 right i would say it would have competed more with an integra okay than a 3 series yeah obviously it's the entry level you know luxury vehicle market. oh actually you know what yeah i'm mistaken because in 95 well from like, what, what's the last year of the E30? Like 91? 90, 92? 92. So yeah, that's probably what they were aiming for was that E30. And then the E36 came out. So it was a little more upmarket yeah. than this car. But yeah, it's it's around that. Um, they're, 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 like, they're like a luxury Sentra SER. Yeah, but they're not the same platform. No, it's its own platform. No, because we didn't get the the Nissan equivalent in the states. It was the, called the. Premier, no, we didn't get the Premiera. Premiera, yeah, which we all love from Gran Turismo, and you know the, yeah. the, the Castrol and the uh, Calsonic Tamiya kits back in the nineties. That I think we both. Uh, I, I, I built the Castrol one. I think you I, you had the Calsonic one, right? I remember. Yeah, I remember my specifically that when I first played Gran Turismo career mode, the first used car I could buy was a green G twenty. Yep. Yeah. So I've, I've always liked these cars and, um, you know, there's some people that make fun of us for always owning the same cars, but you know, our, our, our taste has grown together because we were together all the time living across the street from one another and being into cars. So that's why, you know, we both have a soft spot for these cars because of Gran Turismo and playing Gran Turismo and building those models together. So it's, it's certainly a car that I have always kind of been like, if the right one ever came along, with a manual transmission, I was going to buy it as well. So you just beat me to it. <laughs> well, it's funny because now I went from having zero green cars in a year. I have two. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> I've always had one. A green car? Yeah, like a Camaro. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't think I ever had another green car other than that one, but that's. Oh, wait, yeah, no, I, had, I, had a, I had a green Cressida. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll clean it up and uh, take some nice pictures of it and see where it goes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see the progress of this car, and uh, I hope you still have it next time when I'm back in that area because I'd like to drive one because I don't think I've ever actually driven a five-speed one. I know I've driven a second-gen automatic. Um, yeah, I used to they're be, okay. I had one. It was, it was underwhelming because it's a heavier car. It's uh, an automatic. So... These are cool because, uh, or this particular one's cool because it has all the original owner's manuals. It has the original keys too. The, uh, like the, the very JD one, like jewelry keys that yep. these cars came with. That's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the big metal head on those. Mm -hmm. They're very smooth. It looked kind of like the emblem on the front of the, the uh, Q45. That seems yep. scroll work in it, right? That's right. And that classic, like, ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. like It's like a really fancy chime or really, like, non-aggressive chime if you leave the 
the key in the ignition. So does this car have the factory mesh wheels on it? No, those were for like Tourings. Okay. It's got the kind of directional spokes. Well, they kind of look like GSR wheels, like Integra GSR wheels, right? That's the kind of blade look. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. Again, the competition. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to see this car come along. Um, so it's not a Touring, so it wouldn't have had like a limited slip or anything, right? No, I didn't. I would. I didn't realize that was a thing, but that they would add limited slips. But no, I'm not sure. They definitely would have had a spoiler. Curious what the difference was between the touring and the and the non touring. The touring had more bolstered seats and it had a little spoiler. They had like um, super deep bucket seats, yeah. usually leather, a sunroof, and a spoiler. This car does not have a sunroof either. Okay, that's neat. Yeah, it's probably good. It probably kept it from having leaks. So. Yeah, it had less rust. <laughs> mm-hmm. And no stains in the headliner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see some pictures. And uh, did, you pick the, did you pick the car up yet or not? No, I got the paperwork from him. Instead of, like, towing it up here, because he's about an hour away from me. Yeah, just wait to get I'm registered. I'm just going to register it, and I'll just go down with plates and get it. Is, it, uh, is there a delay on registrations in mass right now? Doesn't seem like it, because... Uh, you know, he purchased it. He had to title it in his name. Then it'll get titled in my name. So technically it'd be like third owner, but I'm really like the second owner. And no miles have been put on it since the first owner yeah. called it though. So he's kind of like the dealer middleman at this point. Yeah. Maybe a one owner car. So. so. And unfortunately he only had to title it because the original owner, when he sold it, filled the title out wrong. So, or filled the title yeah. out completely. So in mass, you can't. You can't go to a third owner, or you can't have a middleman who's not a dealer if they put his name on the title. So he had to title it. So, mm-hmm. or I mean, you could go back to the original owner and had him apply for a lost title or whatever. But that's and it's a bummer because, um, so I had to pay him. I paid him what he wanted, and on top of that, I also paid the sales tax. Right. Because when you title it, you have to pay the sales tax. Right. So and then I have to title it again, and I will also have to pay sales tax. Yeah, pay sales tax twice. Yeah. Yeah, which people who are listening who don't live in Mass will be like, it's a used car. Why are you paying sales tax? Yeah, so you have to pay. I thought you only paid sales tax when you registered the car, not when you titled it. No, it's title, not registration. It just It's usually usually you're registering the car when you're titling it. So yeah, it feels the same way. But no, it's, it's on new title is when it happens. And every time a new owner comes into play, you have to tax the car again. So they don't, listen, they don't call yeah, it tax. Which, uh, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem like, uh, man, they certainly get to double dip on all those taxes. Yeah, especially on cars, because then you yeah. also have to pay excise tax for it. Mm-hmm. Even, well, it's the beginning of the year, so you're better off. But even if you register it in like December, you have to pay excise tax for the entire year of that year. No, no, they'll, so, they prorate that. Do they? Like I bought my Volkswagen on like December 30th and my excise tax bill for... 2019 was like $20. All right. Well, maybe I don't notice it because my cars are not usually expensive cars. So the excise tax is so small anyway. So there was like a little bit of excise tax. And then it's annoying because it might even been more than that. I don't remember. But you get like that bill. And then like a month later, you get the excise tax bill for For the following year. For the following year. Yeah. And excise tax is a road tax that they charge on every vehicle you have registered every year, regardless of how old it is. And it's Yes, and it never gets cheaper. It, it doesn't get cheaper. It just, 
No, it never gets cheaper. It just bottoms out at a certain price, and that's where it stays. Yeah, but it's like twelve dollars. No. Yeah. God no. No way. Hundred percent. I'll nope. show you my, my excise tax bill. Well, your talent and glad is still too new. I will show you my excise tax bills for the seventies and sixties. How are they too new? They're thirty years old. But they're not fifty years old. So the way excise tax is calculated, it's a percentage of the original sale price of the car. So the yeah. fact that the Talon was a fifteen thousand dollar car means that your sales tax is going to be significantly more than my three thousand dollar seventy eight Colt. So my bill for the Colt every year is like twelve dollars when I live there. Oh yeah. See, every year I've ever owned these cars, it's like forty forty five dollars. Yeah, it's like forty to forty five dollars. Yeah. yeah, that's because of the original cost of the car. It gets to a, a certain percentage of it and, and it bottoms out. But on the older cars, it's super low. Like it doesn't have any, thankfully it has nothing to do with current value of the car because you know, my 1968 Camaro SS is worth a hell of a lot more than my 78 Colt. But because the car was like $3,600 brand new, my excise tax is like $15. Yeah. So, so it doesn't care about the value of the car. It only cares about the original purchase price of the car, original MSRP of the car. And, you don't even pay them technically. You don't pay the excise to the state. It's to your technically state. you pay it to the city. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, the biggest racket at all of all is the fact that if you don't pay it within a week of its due date, it gets sent to a quote unquote collections agency called Kelly and Ryan, um, who is actually run by the state, and most cities use them, and they add on charges ridiculously from the original purchase original price of the excise tax yeah. so the last year i lived there or the second to last year whatever year it was when my life was in complete turmoil i missed paying my excise tax um and what would have been a grand total of like 130 dollars for all the cars wound up costing me 700 bucks yeah so it's crazy yeah. it's crazy yeah it's- and they wouldn't let you do anything you couldn't register a car couldn't renew a license you couldn't do anything until you paid that price. So, not fun. No, and our roads are not nice enough to justify. Between that tax and the gas tax that is paid in Massachusetts, you would think that the roads would be paved and, you know, I don't know what they paved in, but it'd be something that's real smooth. <laughs> Rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> I think a lot of it, we're getting off way off here, but that's I think fine. a lot of it ends up going to, like, uh, municipal transportation. Probably. Yeah. Listen, what do we always talk about? It all goes back to Big Salt, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So you tax me to use these roads that you throw salt on that ruins my car. Right. <laughs> well, hey, listen, your excise, me money. your excise tax bottoms out because they want you to buy a new car. That's where they salt it because you can have a higher excise tax. Yeah. And then I had, like, I had to get my yearly inspection sticker. That's another racket. Yeah. No, $35, $35 every year. If it passes. They literally, yeah. I mean, but on a brand new car, like my Volkswagen, they just pull it in. Of course, all the lights work. Of course, yep. the suspension's not falling apart because there's only 6,000 miles on it. Yeah. If you buy a brand new car here in Arizona, um, we don't have safety inspections. But we do have emissions depending on your counting. So my county is the most populous county in the state. So we have emissions inspections. But if you buy a brand new car, you don't get inspections for, I think it's five years. Yeah, because it should work. Yeah, because the car is fresh without, off the dealer's lot. You don't need to get an inspection for five years. Yeah. So. Like, I remember getting my, for a while, I had my uh, inspector's license when I was working at a dealer. At the Infinity and, Dealer. Uh, Infinity Dealer. Yeah. And the, 
the guy was, you know, they had us like all, me and a bunch of techs. We all just did a, a group thing on like a Saturday because it was cheaper. You could just do the train and the trainer from the state is like, you know, even even though the cars are brand new, you should be double checking and make sure the ball joints are good. And we're all like, OK, sure, buddy. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. A brand new Japanese car is going to have bad ball joints. And if it yeah. does, that's a warranty and a lawsuit back to the company. We're not going to worry about it. Yeah. So and then, like I said, we don't even have safety inspection here. So even after that five year grace period, you go into your emissions inspection, you can have 200,000 miles in the car. They're still not going to check your brake pads and your ball joints. Yeah. So wow. Big rackets. Big rackets. All right. Anyway. Uh, well, congratulations on the new car. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to drive it. And uh, I'm excited to see what you do with it. So, yeah. It I, I, I know you. Um, and I have a feeling that it won't be as quick of a flip as you think because you're going to wind up liking it and enjoying it and driving it for at least a year. Maybe. Just a theory. We'll see. And it's not a bad theory. I mean, the car's not going to go down in value. That's th- th- This is the exact moment in time to be buying mid-90s cars because they've bottomed out. You know, you're not going to lose money unless you spend, you know, tons of it on custom stuff, oh. but you're not going to no, lose money. I'm not doing a rotisserie restoration of it either. Right. That's what I mean. It's that, that's the kind of car that you own, you drive for a year. Um, you can get back every dime you put into it at least without an issue. Um, and you've saved another car and you've moved on to give it to somebody else and say, hold out your hand like a wheelie dealer. Yeah. Yeah. So, good stuff. All right. So as always, Keep cars analog and aim for the roses.